This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! Every story. And we are 1,000% confident, convinced, and know that if we carry out plan continuously and don't take our foot off the gas if we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys it's gonna be built to last the scoop duck podcast scoop duck owner justin hopkins and matt bagley from 96 1 580 the game hi everybody matt bagley justin hopkins this is scoop duck in hi-fi and we're throwing this on my radio station's facebook live right now just, I don't know, something fresh. I haven't had a show in, in like a week and a half covering for a co-worker, so <laughs> this will be a little bit of a, a fun one for me. A really action-packed pod today. We want to cover the Levitt departure. Also, uh, spotlight a wild Civil War weekend for basketball and highlight a, a crazy weekend for the baseball and softball programs. Plus, Justin got a big interview today. Yeah, yeah, we got a great guest coming on the show. Uh, excited to learn about uh, new Oregon wide receiver transfer Juwan Johnson. You know why he picked the Ducks, leaving Penn State, coming to Oregon. You know that's a six foot four, two hundred twenty five pounder. That's a guy that Justin Herbert's probably very excited to see get on campus. So uh, we'll get to talk to him a little bit and learn about his, you know, about uh, about his past and and, uh, and and why Oregon was the right school for him. Yeah, I mean, wh- why Oregon is a question that we throw out to a lot of these young guys, but I really want to learn it with Jawan. You're six foot four, two hundred plus, wicked fast, and when you Google this kid. There's just draft profiles up and down his Google search. The yeah. NFL wants him, and so he's not getting paid by the Ducks. Right. And yet he picked Oregon over that NFL opportunity. That fascinates me. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, for him, I think it was it was a perfect it was the right thing to do. Your junior year wasn't uh, wasn't what you wanted it to be at Penn State. A little bit because of injury, just some other things going on there. So for you know for him, you've got a shot to really you're walking into a starting uh, a starting situation. You're walking right into you know immediate playing time. You're walking into being able to play with one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Um, and you know, like you said, one of the things that sticks out about Juwan just a freak athlete i mean he's a freak athlete and you know guys like him don't grow on trees uh, around the country and so you know we've seen in the past the nfl they pay a premium for those kind of guys mm-hmm. they pay more for potential than production in a lot of cases and i think you know if Jawan johnson had gone to the nfl that would have been the case they're paying for potential instead of production if you go and have a big year at oregon this year you might be getting both yeah now that's the hope for the Ducks. They they had that glaring hole in the receiving core, and you find a guy like Jawan Johnson to plug that. Uh, let's also look at Jim Levitt today. I'm real excited to dive in there. Uh, his his departure happened literally an hour after we sent out the last Scoop Duck pod. Yeah, um, you know if you if you'd been a if you are or had been a reader of Scoop Duck. I mean, I don't want to say that I prepped you for that day. I didn't say, hey, be ready on February of this day, you know, at this time, this is happening. But 
I mean, honestly, since the spring, it's something that I've hinted at and mentioned and talked about and, you know, finally got to a point that, you know, during the season, it's like, hey, look, you know, I still think this thing's going to happen. You know, it's just right now everybody's coaching and trying to win football games. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, at that point, I kind of backed off talking about it much. But um, it, it was not a surprise to myself. Um, what was the surprise is that Oregon was able to, however you want to use the word, circumvent some of the buyout because ultimately, um, you know, they, they owed him. So I don't know how the loophole there came, but that was really just kind of a bonus on top of everything. They basic Oregon was basically set to release Jim Levitt, pay the full buyout, and be done with it. They just wanted to wash their hands of it and move on. And uh, I, mean, it's, I mean, it's big news, but it's... It's big news, but I think it's being a little bit more amplified than it needed to be. I mean, it, it seemed evident the entire year something was missing there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's an argument to be made that this was the right move for Oregon. That's what the Ducks think. That's what you think. And we're going we're to look at that next, uh, looking at the Jim Levitt departure. And then in a couple minutes, Jawan Johnson, grad transfer wideout from Penn State. Stay with us. This is Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. The timing of the Levitt departure couldn't have been tougher for the podcast crowd. We tape it, send it out, and I I copy and paste the link to Justin on Wednesday afternoon. And then I take a lunch break. I'm out of the studio, and boom, Jim Levitt is gone. And the news. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously for me, I was able to get back home and and be able to handle it. I I had actually already had a story ready for it to happen. Uh, because ironically enough, it was something that was basically impending for, well, I mean, you know, it was something that I expected to happen, but it was, it was uh, the week leading up to that. It was at the forefront of, Hey, this Mm -hmm. is going down soon. This is going down soon. So I, I mean, I knew I was prepared, but yeah, like you said, in terms of the people that listen to the podcast and maybe wanted to hear us talk about it for whatever reason, had to wait a a whole six, seven days for us to get back in here and, and be able to talk about it. But here we are. Yeah. Yeah, and it it sets up a new world for Oregon football. I'm with you in that this is a move that you can expect for a while. I thought it might have happened after the coaches convention, Mm -hmm. uh, AFCA, when all the coaches in the country are in San Antonio. But when it didn't, I thought, okay, the Ducks are in a bind and they're just going to deal with it because how do you pay five million bucks? Right. And I think that's the the really interesting thing of how all this went down is – like you mentioned, they don't have to pay the full five, right? But they're still going to eat two and a half. Yeah, and I'm not even sure they'll end up paying him all that. But even just avoiding that fact altogether, there is going to be a buyout of some, of some caliber, which really almost historically goes against what Rob Mullins does. He he is not the type of AD to say, "Hey, let's just fire him. I'll raise the money later." That's mm-hmm. not what he does. I mean, sure. He could, and then go. You know, hey Phil, hey guys, let's uh, let's. I need a check here. You can do that, but it's reckless, and I think that's one of the things that, you know, I, I believe that that's probably been the best thing for Oregon is that they don't keep going to the well, the Phil Knight well, yeah. all the time. Like, oh, let's just do it, and Phil will take care of it. Uh-huh. You know, these things are methodically talked about and gone over, and. You know, obviously the Jim Levitt situation, I'm sure there had been discussions for the last six months, nine months, whatever, leading up to this point. You know, for it to happen when it did, it became clear to me that, 
you know, once you got through the season, <clears throat> the football season, that is, you know, with the early signing period now, uh, firing your defensive coordinator sends out a signal of instability for any program, not just Oregon. Mm-hmm. And so with the early signing period now, you didn't want to do it after the bowl game. You know, first of all, the defense played really well in the bowl game. But secondly, you had the early signing period. You wanted to get those guys signed, show stability. And then I think at that point you moved into January, a key January month, when mo- the bulk of your recruiting you had left to do is on the defensive side of the ball. Even if Jim Levitt wasn't active in the recruitment, firing him sends a really big warning sign. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not sure Oregon would have signed Christian Williams or DJ James or Jamal Hill had they fired Jim Levitt at that time. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that's what Mario Cristobal calculated. So that means, okay, you've got to get through the month of January into February and you know get to that next signing day and say, okay, look, We've got to get here. Just keep him in line. And that's, I mean, and that's what happened. And, you know, at that point, Oregon had Puka Nakua that they were kind of hanging on to late. Um, you know, you had just uh, the Jawan Johnson thing here was kind of timing. So at that point, it just became a matter of when once that signing day hit. And then, you know, once they were waiting on Puka, which we talked about, uh, again, even though Puka is an offensive guy, you still don't want to send that. That message out there. Yeah, that negative message. So that's kind of how this played out, you know, and I can go back because I'm I was aware the whole time what was coming and then why, you know, I got pushed back and then it got pushed back. And then because the reality is once signing day hit, all the coaches left for that first weekend. So they everybody went and did their signing day dinners. We had coaches here in Medford, Portland. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that Wednesday night, a lot of coaches flew out. Some went to, you know, Bahamas, some went to the Caribbean went to, you know, some just went home, uh, and did their honeydew list like Jim Mastro, you know? So, uh, all those coaches got four or five days off. Ideal recruiting. Ideal. Yeah. (laughs) At that particular, (laughs) at that particular point, I thought Oregon was going to do it. Like say that Thursday or Friday night and Uh kind of bury it. All the other coaches were going to be gone. So there wouldn't have been a big deal, but they were still recruiting Puka Nakua. So pushed it back. It just, you know, anyways. So the money, and and then that angle that you just mentioned of you, you might be sending a message to recruits that you don't want to send. Sure. You don't want to project any instability. And yet, on the other side, the defense regressed in almost every major statistical category. Yes. If you were the decision maker for Oregon, do you make that call? <sighs> okay, so I'll, I'll posture it this way. If I'm looking at it merely statistically... Just like let's just say we don't know what was going. We don't know some of the the rift and the battles and and all those things that were going on internally mm-hmm. that were there. If you're just going statistically, no. I mean, uh, yes. Did Oregon's defense regress? Yes, it did. Did it regress enough where you're thinking, oh man, we we have to make a move? No. I mean, there were certain categories. It was that, a judgment call. Yeah, yeah. At that point, if you're going just off of statistics, no, absolutely not. But, uh, you know, if I'm considering all things, you know, obviously recruiting became a battle. Uh, some of his interviews became a little bit awkward at times and just some of that other other overall stuff that went with it. I mean, at this particular moment, if you're Rob Mullins, I don't believe that Mario Cristobal has given you a reason not to trust him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's made a lot of really strong decisions that certainly have the interest of Oregon at hand. And it doesn't seem like to me that this was Mario Cristobal saying, I can't stand this guy. I want him gone. Just make make him go away. It was, hey, look, this has become a situation that can no longer be controlled. We need to fix this. 
I've, it's come to the point where it, it's become a distraction for this football team. We need to do something. I, I think that's how it was probably presented. And, and yeah, at that point, I mean, what do you do? I mean, Mario Cristobal, the strength program is better. The academic program is better. I mean, the product on the field is better. The coaching hires he's made have been terrific. I mean, I don't know how you doubt him at this point in time. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I think that if you factor in the, the pros and cons of this, it's probably 60-40 in that – the, the on-field product, the defense, regressed last year, and, and somebody's got to take the blame for that. And then the other thing that I just think of as somebody I work, right? I, I work in a radio station with about 20 other people. You work with Scoop Duck, and you've worked with writers before in, in various roles. I would be really frustrated if I were Jim Levitt, and I interview for the big job. I don't get it. Right. And somebody who is not necessarily less experienced, not necessarily less successful. Mario Cristobal has proven the contrary, right? Very successful, very experienced. But just on appearance, Jim Levitt probably thought he got passed up. Yeah. And that's got to be an awkward working environment. Well, he did. He definitely wanted the job badly, did feel that he got passed over for it. Um, you know, I'm. that was obviously the big, that was the, the, foundation of the rift if you will that 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 was there all year and i'm sure you know that you're hearing all the duck fans and you know rob mullins and all these people give you know mario cristobal credit you know you see a top ranked class come in oregon goes and wins you know nine football games does all these things the right way and you're you know you're probably just sitting there kind of you know really burning in your seat thinking, man, that should have been my job or whatever. Uh -huh. But the reality is this, and I'm not going to sit here and pick on Jim Levitt because I've done, you know, things that I might have regretted at certain points. But just to put it in a realistic perspective for you and I, he's making $1.7 million a year yeah. to coach defense. Shut up and do it. <laughs> like, seriously, I'm not going to feel bad for a person that got passed over for a promotion and is still set to make one point seven. The reality is this. Let's just assume that Oregon pays him $2 million of a buyout, and that's probably close. The next person you're going to hire at defensive coordinator is probably going to earn a lot closer to 750000 than $1.7 million. Wow. You've made up the difference in two years. Uh -huh. His salary was so egregious. It was a terrible contract for Oregon, really. Uh, and and I and I and I say that, and I still think you know, hey, Jim Levitt did a great job at Oregon, turn around the defense. I give him credit for all of that, no question about it. Uh, the problem is you're making one, so that's like basically somebody coming up to us and saying, I'm going to give you three million three hundred thousand dollars to do this job mm -hmm. for a year that you're, you know, yeah, you got passed over. You could have been making five hundred thousand dollars, but you're getting passed over. You're going to make three hundred thousand. We're going to sit here and go, okay, yeah, yeah. Am I shoveling shit all day? I don't care. <laughs> what do you want me to do for three hundred grand a year? What do right. you want me to do? Yeah. yeah, you know. So obviously, you and I are at different stages of our life than Jim Levitt is. He's worked a long time. He's you know uh, closer to retirement than you and I are currently. Not that I'll ever retire, I don't think. But um, so all those things aside, I I mean I just don't feel bad for the guy. Man, three hundred grand. Your commute to Sam's Valley just got a lot easier. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm I'm doing it in a rolly for crying out loud. <laughs> um, one more thing on the Levitt situation, and then I want to get to our awesome interview on tap with Jawan Johnson, grad transfer wideout from Penn State. 
where do the Ducks go from here? Good question. Um, something that I'll probably dig into a little bit more. Well, if any of you are listening to this on Wednesday, I'll do the juice later tonight and I'll put a little bit in there. But right now, you know, it's it's widely discussed that Keith Hayward, who was named or tabbed co-DC in the spring, something that I alluded to would be happening, is the most like, likely successor. And what seems to be the biggest thing I hear when I mention that, there's two things. First of all, you know, is he ready? The inexperience of Keith Hayward not being a DC yet. So, yeah, I do understand what folks are saying. But again, at this particular moment, I have no reason to not trust that Mario Cristobal will make the right call for the University of Oregon, whether that's Keith Hayward or somebody else. Fine. The second is a lot of folks seem to think, oh, what will what will Joe Sally Avea, Big Joe, think about being passed over for DC? Mm-hmm. Will that cause a rift there? And it's just, in my mind, it's a unanimous no. I mean, I know that Big Joe is very happy in Eugene. He loves coaching under Mario Cristobal. Um, I, I, I mean, you you hate to say that somebody in that position, because most of these guys are all kind of alpha males at heart. Yeah. You hate to say that somebody in that position isn't ambitious towards advancing their career, but I don't think that's a big agenda for Big Joe right now. And it, I, I think he's, I mean, he's making... He's making seven hundred fifty grand to coach the defensive line, recruit a little bit, you know, and do his thing. I mean, he's not, and not everybody's going to be slighted at making one point seven million dollars and being passed over in a year. Yeah. So Big Joe certainly not. So uh, for just for example, if Keith Hayward ends up as defensive coordinator, sole DC, no, Big Joe's not going to go anywhere. It's not a problem. It's I don't think it's going to be an issue. It's just. I do believe that Mario's continuing to vet candidates, though, for the position, not just simply hand it over to Keith and say, here we go. I like your insight there with Joe Salavea because I I know as a Raider fan, we've had Tom Cable twice, uh, once in the early 2000s, once now as a line coach. Seahawks had him for a long time. Cable is a great example of a guy that clearly loves being a line coach. Sure. And you see that with line coaches, offensive and defensive. Some of these guys just, they know what they love. Right. And they don't want to be a head coach and they don't want to be a coordinator and have all this extra headache and drama. Sure. And so that's Joe Salavea. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, I think there's almost a self awareness to it. Like, hey, look, I know what my limitations are. I'm really good here. And when I start getting outside of my bubble, I'm not nearly as good. So my bubble is here coaching. The defensive line group, maybe helping with linebackers a little bit. Front seven, I'm really strong here. Trying to incorporate, uh, you know, the back end, the defensive backs might make it a little trickier. I don't think I'm ready to do that. I don't want to be a DC yet. Or, you know, hey, being a head coach, you've got to handle offense. You've got to handle defense, special teams, recruit, academics. I mean, all these engagements. I don't think I want to be spread that thin. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of happy right here. I'm making good money. My my family's taken care of. I really enjoy what I'm doing. This is my zone. I'm in my zone. And some people just identify with that. I mean, there's certain elements that I know, you know, I'm not going to go take a job as a mechanic because I know I <laughs> I suck at it. Hey, you and me both. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm terrible <laughs> at it. It's a self Look, I'm terrible. I'm not going to go take a construction job because I am the least handiest person I know. And that's fine. I can live with that. I I do. I will pay somebody and hire somebody to not only, you know, A, do it, but do it right the first yeah. time. And B, saves me hours of trying to figure it out when they'll show up and do it in an hour. Yeah. It's kind of like, I mean, you write and edit. So maybe this is a bad analogy, but 
when writers become editors. Yeah. Right. Some yeah. guys, they know, they say, hey, I'm a really good writer and I don't want to give that up. Yeah. And I have an editor that, you know, is pretty silent in this thing. And uh, Steve does a great job for me on that. But yeah, your analogy is correct. I mean, yeah, I, I have I have edited a number of stories, of course, because it's my site. And uh, for a while there, I didn't have an editor at all. And uh, yeah, I uh, Steve, I and mean, you know, I'll send I'll send Steve a story or one of the other guys and you know, he will spend 30, 40 minutes editing it, going through it nicely and fact checking and doing all. I just don't have time and don't, I just, I wouldn't do that good of a job. So I'm really thankful, yeah. you know, for him that he does that. And for editors everywhere, they, they make the world a, a better, a more readable place. They do. No, they <laughs> definitely do. Um, Juwan Johnson, grad transfer for Penn State. Yep. Uh, before we bring him on, do you have any other thoughts on the Levitt departure? Uh, I don't, you know, there's, I've got a feeling, here's what I'll say on it in closing. I've got a feeling that more and more things are going to continue to come out regarding this situation. I'm calling it a situation, you know, Jim Levitt's year at Oregon under Mario Cristobal. Clearly it was a rift, you know, clearly they tried to make it work from the get go. Honestly, in, in hindsight, it might've just been better had Oregon bit the bullet and dealt with it in the spring you know, even after offering him the contract that they never should have offered him. Um, and I don't I don't think that's a major... I, I think there will be more and more things that come out that really kind of shine a light on how difficult this situation was for Mario Cristobal to manage. You know, you have one of your top chief executive guys, you know, uh, really just undermining you in a lot of ways. And that creates such a bad culture, chemistry, you know, it's just, it's bad for the team. And again, you know, we heard Mario Cristobal, uh, you know, on the podcast a couple weeks ago, he puts the University of Oregon football program first, not his own agenda or this or that. He is this, you know, the question is becomes with almost everything. Is this good for the program? Is this good for the, you should I bring Juwan Johnson? Is, is this good for the program? Mm-hmm. You know, should I go and get a second quarterback in this class? Is this good for the program? All these, you know, and uh, at the end of the day, you know, his his reasoning or his decision was, look, keeping Jim Lovett around is not good for the program. And and that's the end of the end of it. I, I think some more and more will come out. And I think the more that fans continue to hear and read about it, it will become less about, wow, they paid him five million dollars to leave or two million dollars or whatever. Mm-hmm. And man, I don't know how they handled it for a year. I, I think that will be the. I think that will be the narrative probably over the coming months. A prediction from Justin Hopkins of Scoop Duck. Hey, expect something down the pipe in the uh, the months ahead regarding the Ducks defensive coordinator situation. So I think that's a good place to wrap that up, and then we'll move on to some other topics. Let's get Jawan Johnson, grad transfer wideout from Penn State. Jawan Johnson, Ducks' new wide receiver, grad transfer from Penn State, joining us on a snow day here on Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. Matt Bagley and Justin Hopkins picking the brain of a new Duck edition. Jawan, my favorite question to ask new members of the Oregon football program is just, why Oregon? I think it was the great fit for me, I think. Educationally, I think it was great for me. I think, I, from my understanding, the broadcast journalism program was was um, by far uh, better than any other school that I had interest in. And I think 
uh, it was better for me on the field. You know, uh, like I said before, they have 10 out of 11 starters coming back. They have a great defensive uh, core coming back. And then um, offensively, they just need they just need that, uh, that receiver, I guess, that can lead um, the wide receiver room, uh, that, that, that experience that they needed. So I felt like it was a good fit for me to just come in and just have one of those impacts on and off the field. Now, we got a couple football questions to ask you, but you just lit up my brain. Did I hear that right? Broadcast journalism? That's our wheelhouse. Yes, sir. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. He's going to be the next sports setter anchor. Is that true? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Wherever, uh, wherever God leads me. <laughs> no. Um, and, and that's great. I know, you know, obviously you and I spoke prior to your visit to Oregon. And I know that was right. one of the things that you'd mentioned, uh, you know, was that particular program um, kind of circling. What I want to do is, is educate. You've gone through the recruiting process before. And yes. one of the things that you hear a lot of uh, what I would call recruits coming out of high school talk about is education. And sometimes it, it seems sort of hollow. And sometimes you can tell that it, it's really, uh, you know, something that, that rings true for that, that particular young man. Right. For you, I would imagine in, in this position, it's it's definitely something that rings true. Your 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 future's on the line. What I right. want to ask is this: How well did Oregon present the academics on your visit? Is that something that might have really caught your attention aside from football? Yeah, I think it really was. Um, when uh, some of the coaches came and visited me before, uh, I think education was one of the first things that they mentioned when we were talking about broadcast journalism because uh, they had so many connections in the broadcast journalism field that kind of intrigued me because um, Penn State was one of the uh, was one of the schools that really intrigued me to begin with coming out of high school with the alumni association, uh, association that they had, such a wide range of people that they had. And sort of uh, Oregon had the same sort of feel in terms of broadcast journalism. So the sort of connection that they had sort of drew my attention and that's something that I really wanted to be a part of to have a uh, more connection, more networking uh, as I enter, enter, I guess, the real world, I'd say. When you think about football, Jawan, do you see any connections between Oregon and Penn State? Uh, I think so. Um, obviously, both teams are high-powered programs, especially in the conferences that they're in. You know, Penn State is one of the, amongst the top in uh, uh, their conference in Oregon as well as one of the uh, top programs in their conference. So um, it's, it's not too much of a fall-off uh, if you think about it. You know, they sort of both had the same record. So um, just sort of going from one team to another, it's not too much of a drop-off. Same uh, in terms of trying to chase one goal, and that's pretty much getting a national championship and uh, getting a Pac-12 or a Big Ten championship. You know, there are two teams that they're uh, pretty even, uh, if you if you ask me. But, you know, they're both trying to get – know to that top and that's uh, be a national champ uh, I've got to assume that one of the uh, highlights or at least the, the main pitches for you to come to Oregon is, is that uh, that guy that throws the football I think his name's Justin Herbert um, <laughs> you know talk if you don't mind talk a little bit about your conversation I think you had an opportunity to meet him on your visit and uh, yeah. you know just I mean was that a pretty big part of this equation for you or, or you know how did that kind of fit in oh without a doubt um Definitely having uh, him at quarterback definitely sort of uh, solidifies the decision to become an Oregon. You know, he's probably, he probably will be the number one – well, he will be the number one quarterback coming out next year. And uh, knowing uh, that he'll be behind center sort of taking the snaps and sort of throwing the ball to, you know, four or five or six guys next year uh, just makes the decision that much that much easier. You know, he's a good, good down-to-earth guy. I was talking to him a bit, and uh, he just seemed like a guy you would always want to be around. So – 
um, when I met him, I was just like, dang, like he kind of blows me away with his personality. So, uh, somebody I definitely want to be around, definitely want to uh, pick his brand a little bit, um, lead into next year. And I think that feeling might be mutual, Jawan. When I looked at your footage, I, I saw a guy that is big, strong, fast, and you made that great play against Iowa two years ago. I want to ask you about this because yeah. the, the Penn State folks think that might be your best highlight. You go to Iowa, you catch a game-winning touchdown with four seconds left. How did it feel to silence 70,000 people? Uh. I feel like before. I mean, I've I've never experienced something like that before, obviously. But it's it's kind of like uh, something that you make up in your dream, or something that's like a fantasy. You know, just four seconds left, and you sort of just trying to silence the crowd and try to make a big catch on a way away game, a night game. So it's pretty. It's, it's so real to think, honestly think about it. And it's kind of something that definitely uh, left my mark on the program and sort of just jump started my career, uh, to be honest. And. Um, I'm really happy about it. Um, the Penn State uh, family is still talking about it to this day. So um, it was definitely um, a moment that I'll never forget. So one thing I I want to get into, and I want to I want to be really careful as I do it. But uh, I mean, we we've seen all the the, uh, the the scouting reports on you. I mean, just an absolute athlete. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just I mean, yeah. tremendous upside. I guess is the word everybody wants to use. Right. But unfortunately for you, your junior year d- didn't kind of maybe go as you would hoped. I would assume. Yeah. You know, yeah. What what you know and and there's injuries and there's there's all kinds of things fans don't right. get to know what you know i guess maybe in your own words without you know any bashing or anything we're not looking for that just what kind yeah. of went on this yeah, season yeah. and and why could why should oregon fans be excited about your senior season yeah well ultimately um like we all know like what happened um you know i had a, a lot of drops last year and um sort of just facing those problems it's kind of it's kind of i'm kind of making light of it because uh there, there's so much more that can come better from it so having that season sort of is making me eager and is making me better as a person from it. So um, I had a lot of drops last year, and with that, it sort of, um, I guess, I had to wrestle with it mentally, and sort of uh, the injuries happened as well, which uh, didn't help the cause. So uh, having the injuries and having the drops definitely didn't have um, this, the, the, scene, the, the junior season that I wanted to initially have. But ultimately, uh, it's not – it's not my plan, like I said before in a lot of the view, interviews, it's God's plan. So I'm sort of trusting in that and uh, having light of it and trying to kind of just rejoicing in the rain and knowing that the sun will come soon. Yeah, you mentioned earlier, Jawan, that you've met Justin Herbert and spending time in Eugene, really working mm-hmm. and grinding towards an improved senior year. Uh, what's the experience been like for you with those Oregon facilities and the Oregon program? Uh, it was definitely mind-blowing i never uh experienced anything like that which which you could imagine um uh just sort of looking at other facilities and sort of looking at pictures of other other facilities and it it doesn't really quite match up with our organs and it kind of blew me away with the things that they had and so much help and support that they had from uh, uh the training staff and the coaches and uh nutrition standpoint from the sports science they have so many um, they have so many vessels in their uh, in their in their staff that it's pretty much uh, insane to even think about because I was never able to you know have you know, things like that. So uh, me going in there sort of makes me feel like I'll be living in the weight room or, or living in that facility because there's so many things that I could do and um, and get better. 
so um, an interesting part of this is is that uh, is that you committed to Oregon and when you did the day that you did Oregon didn't have a wide receiver coach in place mm-hmm. so my first the first part of this question is who uh, kind of I mean who was the primary guy that recruited you leading up to that point uh, you know upon your commitment right uh, it was coach Arroyo um, he was the one that hit me up the first um, the first hour probably the first couple of minutes when I put my name in the portal he was they were at the first school who hit me up and that's sort of the one of the schools that I initially thought um, about visiting before the pool even came out, you know, I'm just sort of thinking about like, then like what schools need a wide receiver. And Oregon was literally the first school that hit me up and I was um, on board with it. And I, and I, and I remember that coach Cristobal was, uh, you know, he was the coach that recruited me when he was Alabama. So I was like, wow, like, this is something that's right up my alley. So we sort of connected from there and I started talking to coach Cristobal even more when, uh, things started to move uh, uh, faster than other schools. So, and then we sort of got the ball rolling, and that's pretty much how it happened. So, Coach Chris Ball, Coach Rubio, uh were the two guys who recruited me pretty heavy. So, almost in the in the words of the infamous Drake, it was almost like God's plan, like from the get go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, now, my second part of this is 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 since your commitment, um, you know, uh, Oregon has announced a new wide receivers coach in Joe Von Booknight. And I just wanted yep. to know if you've had an opportunity to speak with him, if you've kind of looked him up a little bit, and just what your thoughts on that hire are. Yeah. Yeah, I know that uh, Coach was um, he was at Utah State. He was at um, Texas Tech, and he had some receivers there. And I've met him before, and um, we uh, we definitely um, had a good conversation. He's, like like I said, like, just, like Justin, he's very down to earth. He's a good guy. He's very knowledgeable about receiver position he's very detailed as you can as i as i know um talking to him so he'd be a great coach um for me uh for for technique wise and definitely fundamentals because i feel like he's he harps on a lot fundamentals and that's something that um you need to be technically sound at wide receiver with so he'd be uh he'd be definitely a great fit for me earlier we talked about your size and your measurables six four 200 plus wicked fast none of that grows on trees and the draft scouts <laughs> think the same way i've read so many glowing yeah. profiles uh when i researched questions to ask you today jawan uh sites yeah. that think maybe a day two guy maybe even a day one guy if everything goes well mm-hmm. have you thought about the draft uh not really i mean Ultimately, I think that's what kind of killed me uh, last year, sort of thinking about the draft and things like that. And I think if I just go out there and play how I know how to play, then everything will fall into place. I know for sure that I'll be one of, one of the top uh, receivers coming out next year if I just um, if I just enjoy myself. Because once I enjoy myself, I feel like uh, I feel like well, honestly no one can cover me. So when the game of football is fun, it's a whole lot better to play, I imagine. Absolutely, and, and I have to, I have to say, Juwan, you know we've we've you know we've had the podcast. We had uh, we had Coach Chris Ball on a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we had Kenny mm-hmm. Sanders on last week, and I know you know Kenny really well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm I'm in, and we're gonna talk about him in a minute. But I'm really, 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 genuinely impressed with just I want I want to call it your own self awareness. Like, hey, look, you know, I wasn't doing this properly and my mind maybe wasn't where it needed to be i do need right. to work on drops i i applaud you for the fact that hey i'm aware of these things and there's only one way to, right. to fix it and i need to go fix it um 
Absolutely. Because that's something that a lot of folks tend not to do is like, oh, you know, it was my coach. It was a situation. They wouldn't throw the ball to me. You know, right. It's so easy right. to blame everyone else when it's just buckle up and say, hey, look, I just need to catch the right. ball better and do what I do. I know what to do. You know, absolutely. Um, absolutely. I love that about you. So my question is, sure. it reverts back to you committing to Oregon and, and Coach Sanders. So Coach Sanders was, I think, announced right before you committed uh, to Oregon. Mm-hmm. And then, right. and I know you know him really well, but another uh, young man that I know you're familiar with that works at Oregon is Ryan Bartow from his days as a, as a national yep. analyst. Were those two guys, yep. uh, what I want to say, somewhat instrumental in your decision? Did that kind of help Oregon as well? Yeah, um, we sort of, uh, sort of just became what we had back in high school, and I was just like, man, like, I haven't seen this so, so long, and talked to them so long, and so um, I was talking to him, and then Kenny, I had no idea that he had any interest in Oregon until um, after my visit. So um, we were just talking a bunch, and uh, and we sort of just made it happen. Well, he he sort of just made it happen, and he was just like, hey man, like this is your time. So um, a couple of days after, and I, I committed as well, and that sort of sort of made the transition from Penn State to Oregon. Uh, we were, as I told you, we were fortunate to have uh, Coach Sanders on last week on the podcast, kind of just get to know him, uh, you know, his background, mm-hmm. and it's quite impressive. Uh, in your own words from being there, I know he didn't, I don't believe he personally recruited you to Penn State. I could be wrong there. No. No. Um, no. But, I mean, from your opinion of, of being around him and the recruits that interacted there, I mean, uh, I mean, is he? Uh, sh- should we be as excited as we are about having Coach Sanders at Oregon? Yeah, I feel like you should. Um, as I as I got to talk to him a little more this past year, I know years before uh, we didn't really talk as much, but as this year uh, has happened, this past year we have been uh, pretty 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 tight. So I'm um, just talking to him, getting to know him. He's a great guy. He's a really uh, energetic and enthused and engaging guy, and I feel like. Um, Oregon is getting a lucky, a lucky guy in him. So, um, I mean, I, I wouldn't recommend any other job uh, to anybody else but him. I think he deserves it all. What from talking to him, it sounds like he does a really good job of developing and building relationships. And it sounds like you're without a doubt, without it. Yeah, I mean, I, it sounds like he's relatable. You know, at least to yeah. a lot of young men out there. Hey, have I've gone through this. I know what you're going through. Um, and that's right. a, that's a big tool. That's a really big tool. So, sure. Uh, sure. I, I think you know wrapping up here. What I, what I'd like to know now, Jawan, is obviously I know f- uh, focus number one right now is academics. Getting you know getting finished up at Penn State and getting out to Eugene. Uh, what right. what other things are you doing along? Are you are you training? What other things are you doing alongside that before yeah. you end up in Eugene? Yeah, so I've been doing a, a bit of training, and I've been uh, a couple places like Cali, and then I'll be going down to Miami and Tampa to work out with my brother for a little bit. So I've been doing quite a bit of training, you know, doing some training uh, on my own and my uh, training facility at my apartment. So i um, just been waking up early, grinding, and then sort of doing two a days and running at night. I uh, sort of doing that whole thing and pretty much just doing my schoolwork, obviously, and trying to read to keep my brain sane. So, so <laughs> trying to... Uh, trying to isolate not isolate myself but just sort of keeping uh you know keep keeping my sanity a little bit just sort of isolate myself you know from social media and sort of not get myself too wrapped up in it because um you know it could be a dangerous it could be a dangerous thing when you get too wrapped up in it It, yeah it can be a drug i like that strategy yeah (laughs) yeah you're not a big twitter guy i've I've noticed that yeah uh, yeah you know one of the things it's like you know are you announcing on twitter uh yeah Yeah. i I think that that was like your first tweet and like 
30 days or something. I get it in a while. Yeah, in a while. <laughs> I, I, like in a how while. You, I like how you referenced that you're trying to stay mentally swole too as well as, as uh, sure. off-field. Off um, my last question here, I think we'll send you off. Uh, when, uh, when do you get to Eugene? When, when will you be out here helping the team and, and what's kind of the plan for that? So uh, I plan on going early June. I think I'll be going either a little bit before the freshman or when the freshman come in. So I'll be coming in, uh, hitting the ground rolling, and sort of uh, competing for a spot. And then um, sort of just um, making my way to, to not only um, impress uh, the teammates around me, but the coaches and why they brought me here and sort of just uh, making my name and, and helping everybody develop on and off the field. Duck fans, watch out. Early June, Jawan Johnson is coming. Grad transfer wideout from Penn State. Going to catch some passes from Justin Herbert this fall. Jawan, we're really thankful for the time you gave us today. Absolutely. I appreciate you guys. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks, buddy, and, and good luck, bud. All right, thank you so much. Thanks, Jawan. Sometimes we have guests that you can tell they're nervous. <laughs> guys yeah. that uh, we've we've talked about this before. you got to drag... 10 or 15 questions to try to make it a five-minute interview, yeah, right? Because yeah. everything is one-word answers. Right. Jawan Johnson, I'm going to be out of a job in a couple years when this guy enters broadcast journalism because he did not have that problem at all. No, he, I mean, he wasn't, uh, it wasn't a lot of ums or, you know, uh, or, you know, I mean, it was, it was very, uh, very, very good answers, uh, very timely answers, not, you know, not really long, not really short, just, you know, just right. Got enough information out there. And I just uh, more importantly than than what this young man does on the football field. What a, what a great attitude. Yes. I mean, just to, to be self-aware of, hey, these are the things I just didn't do this very well. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to fix it. And, and that I mean, th those are when you talk about people in the NFL that, you know, are, are superstars or even just you know, really good players in the NFL that, oh, he was a three-star coming out of high school or a two-star coming out of high school. Well, those are the young men that are, are much like Jawan in the fact that, hey, I didn't do this very well. There's only one one way for me to fix it. I need to go, you know, it's not this person's fault. It's not my coach's fault. Um, you know, that's the stuff that really makes a person, uh, you know, a, a, a better player, a great player. So Yeah. I love that you mentioned the term self-aware in that interview with Jawan. I was having this conversation with my father the other night. I flunked out of college. I loved to party, and it bit me in the butt. And he was the same way. Loved to party. His early 20s. I still love to party. We're a blur. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and I know I've seen your beer kegs. I know, man. You, you have some fun. But just how rare is it for a 20-year-old or a 21-year-old yes. to be self-aware? Well, the thing that sticks out to me, and I, I don't – you know, I, I feel unfair labeling, but traditionally wide receivers are very egocentric, very me, me, me. I mean, as, yeah. a, as a whole, we've seen it in the NFL. I mean, I mean you know, you don't have to look far. Yeah. He wears the 84 jersey for a reason. Right. In the state of, of Pennsylvania. So, yeah, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of receivers just carry. Uh, I don't know if prima donna is the right word. It's really not. But just and he comes off not even remotely like that. No. I mean, just very limited social media interaction, you know, really just a young man that sounds like, hey, look, I know these gifts that God gave me if I do work hard and put in this work will get put, you know, put to good use. I mean, it's the right attitude. You know, that's a young man that, you know, will uh, uh, let's just if he has a strong year at Oregon, 
probably going to rise himself up the NFL draft boards a little bit, but mm-hmm. what'll happen is he'll go in for interviews and with that type of mentality, that type of attitude, he's going to move even higher up draft boards because he of his attitude and just the way he carries himself off the field. Very uh, much more like Larry Fitzgerald than Antonio Brown to well, his credit. I, I totally agree. Yeah, to no, he's a guy that screams second rounder yeah. of crazy athleticism let's say he puts on some good stats this year we could be talking about a first round pick because like you said he's going to nail the interview process yeah he's going to nail the interview process those you know nfl teams are going to say hey look you know we're bringing in a kid who's got a tremendous amount of upside but he's also a good locker room guy he's going to be a good you know a good person don't have to worry about it getting trouble off the field uh and although the nfl does take chances on the kareem hunts and the other gentlemen that get in trouble you know, there's uh, there are a lot of coaches that still value the off the field uh, demeanor. I uh, just absolutely love that about Juwan. And again, being a receiver certainly doesn't have the me first type of attitude, which is refreshing, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you don't see it every day, and it sounds like the Ducks got a pretty unconventional, but perhaps quite successful young man joining the fold next fall. I want to dive into basketball, plus baseball and softball are off to an interesting start. Um, do you want to start with the men or the women on the other side of basketball? Of basketball? Yeah. Uh, uh, may as well go with the women. They're drawing the buzz right now. <laughs> and then Rightfully just, so. Rightfully yeah, so. Yeah. And then before we get there, is there anything else on football that you want to hit on? Uh, no, I don't. Th- I mean, uh, you know, Mario Cristobal announced officially the hires of Kenny Sanders, who was on the the podcast with us last week, uh, Joe Vaughn, book night at receivers coach, um, you know, both those, uh, Ken Wilson, who was hired uh, a long time ago, officially, all three of those are officially hired. He's got a DC, DC hire to make potentially, but uh, you know, we'll have more on that on the site. Um, That would have been something if we had Kenny Sanders on and then like a day later, he's, you know, right. Recruiting director at Cal Cal, or or Florida or somewhere. Been awkward. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and certainly we wouldn't have had him on had that even been a remote inkling, but it still would have been, uh, funny. Uh, no football, uh, they're in the fourth quarter program right now. They're grinding that out. I mean, you could, uh, you know, right now your go-to source on that's coach Feld following his Twitter. Um, I don't know if anybody saw like the flex Friday that he did. He does a little video on flex Friday. Um, you know, certainly the, you know, I looked at it and about halfway through they flashed a, they flashed Andrew Johnson flexing and it's like holy crap is that a human being I mean just yoked up just ripped unreal I mean that and that's the thing that's the thing and my final one is is this team's transforming this team's their bodies the just you know Oregon for for years was the smaller team you know undersized but with the speed and now they're no longer undersized and they still have pretty good speed across the board and they've got, I mean, like DJ Johnson, Andrew Johnson, Jordan Scott's no small guy. The offensive line, you know, I mean, all these guys just they're You could see their bodies changing, even if you don't watch every day. If you don't, even if you don't watch Coach Coach Feld's, uh, you know, Twitter. Um, and that's the thing, you know, he came in and brought in the fourth quarter program, and last year was the first year of it. Uh, you know, this year being the second year. Uh, it's just like as we talked about Coach Arroyo being in his second year of offensive offensive coordinator. You can do more things. The guys are more familiar with the regimen. They know, you know, what you're expecting. They know what to do. 
Well, if you're Coach Feld, you can expand your playbook. I'm using quotation marks of what you're able to do as a strength coach. You can add more to it. You can develop these guys even more. And, uh, you know, so far it sounds like it's it's paying off tremendously. Yeah. The future's bright for Duck football as they're working out and getting ready for a, an interesting fall. And also Duck basketball with an interesting stretch right now. Let's yes. switch gears and look at that. Let's start with the ladies. They split Oregon State. I I thought they really dominated on Friday at Matt Knight, and then Sun or uh, Monday, you lose that game at Gill. But that was a fascinating one. Yes, it was a fascinating one. And as we are recording this right at the moment, uh, from Oregon women's basketball, Ruthie Hebert is questionable for this weekend's games against UCLA and USC. An MRI. Uh, yesterday, which would be Tuesday, revealed no structural damage in her knee. Wow. That's a win. Everybody's fist pumping. That's We're all high-fiving. Yep. Yeah. Forget what you So anyways, that's breaking news coming. I mean, literally, I'm reading it right popping up on my phone. Uh, so that's the news you needed. Uh, I said last week on, the, on this very podcast, I'm okay with Oregon losing one of the games this weekend. In fact, I almost encourage it. Not you know that I'm encouraging losing, but... Here's the deal. You went into Gill, which was brutally tough. I mean, they showed up. They you know, it was a rough crowd. Yeah, it was tough. How about how about the ESPN shot? It was like late third, early fourth, where they moved their sideline reporter to the nosebleeds. Yeah, like top of the stands, and she's surrounded by orange. Well, I tried to get tickets for the game to take the kids to go watch it. I cu- I couldn't, and that was weeks ago. No doubt. Yeah. But uh, then again, coming up with seven tickets isn't easy for any event. So. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the point to that is uh, Oregon lost that game by five yeah. with Ruthie Hebert out for three quarters of it. I- I'm OK with that. I mean, and you really to couple that Sabrina and Escu, who is still one of my favorite players in the whole world, really played a terrible game by her standards. Mm-hmm. So you had all those things going against you. Tough crowd. Obviously, you had uh what I would say familiar familiarity with your opponent, obviously just playing them a couple days before seldom favors the per the, the team that won the first time around. Um, you know, all those things going against Oregon, no Ruthie Hebert, a, a, a very lackluster performance from Sabrina who missed the layup at the end of the game. That's totally uncharacteristic of her. It was just one of those days and you still only lost by five. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I think, I think that was the wake up call Oregon needed and I, I, you know what? If it drops them down to five in the polls or whatever, I could care less. They're 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 going to get it going. And it's not the average wake up call. Like if a team loses by twenty, that's a wake up call. But I thought this Oregon team really gave itself a chance at the end, even without Ruthie leading the offense, yep. because their defense was phenomenal in the third quarter denying passing lanes they they repeatedly punched the ball free every time osu tried to drive or lob it to the corner and really if you change two plays in that game it's got a different outcome i think the goodman three that was fired from another county uh late third that shot doesn't go in nine times out of ten and then the the four point play at the end where Sabrina curls off a screen and gets fouled, that three bounced off the rim. Yeah. If that shot goes in, that's a four point play. Right. Ducks tie it up 
and the travel doesn't happen there. Right. The, the travel end. doesn't even happen. Yeah. And I'm not going to sit here and say, hey, that that Oregon lost the, the game because of that refs, but they were definitely on the on the tough side of some of those calls is what I would say. I wouldn't have called that travel. Well, the travel was a terrible call. I mean, it was. I mean, that is almost the epitome of the no-call territory that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. You're late in the game, you know, under 30 seconds to go. You don't want a call that's fairly borderline to dictate the outcome of a game. Whether Oregon goes down and, and makes something out of it or not, different story. Uh, that was just one of many. There was a number of calls that were kind of like, eh, yeah, okay. I, apparently <laughs> we're in Corvallis today. Yeah. At least just from where I was sitting. I wasn't at the game, unfortunately. Tried to go, couldn't get there. But uh, I thought there was, and again, here we are. You know, we're talking about that. Ruthie Heber didn't play for three quarters of the game. Sabrina didn't play her best game, and they still only lost by five. Yeah. I'm hey, okay with it. How great was it that that game wasn't on Pac-12 Network? Yeah, no kidding, huh? We could all enjoy it for once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the good news is, I don't know if this is where we're going to go. So the women only the women play two home games this weekend. Two home games. Right. Yeah. Men play two away games, but both are on an ESPN network. Yes. So that's nice, too. Yeah. Yeah, if you love Oregon basketball, you, you have no excuses this weekend. You get to watch. You, you get to watch, yeah. You don't have to watch, but you can watch. Yeah. <laughs> that might be the motto for the men this year. You don't have to, but you can. But you can. They lose to Oregon State on Saturday, and that game really illuminates. We went in with this idea. Oregon was going to pressure Oregon State off the ball. They were going to yeah. speed them up, and that was the game plan. They tried to do it. They just couldn't couldn't do what they wanted to do. Right. I, I You know, I think in that instance, it certainly – appeared to me that Oregon State was expecting that and and if you're playing checkers they were the next move ahead mm-hmm. and so you know f- uh, look uh, Oregon State's one of the better teams in the Pac-12 Oregon's still trying to figure out exactly where they are are they in the middle are they slightly below the middle are they slightly above it again if we're managing our expectations if they're winning more games than they're losing, I think you got to be happy at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Don't love the Oregon State loss. I, I didn't think it was a very good game by Oregon for Oregon. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, this team's just kind of playing where I expected them to play. I mean, yeah. and that, and on one hand, it's good that you have several guys who seem to be able to step up at certain points of a game, or you know, have a big game here or a big you know big game three games from now you have four or five guys that seem to have a big game that puts you in a spot to win but you don't have a, a dylan brooks you don't have a every game good you know have bull mm-hmm. bull out there you do, you know you don't have the consistency of hey look this guy's gonna get me 20 points i know i'm gonna get 20 points from him on a bad day i'm gonna get 18 and on a good day he's gonna get me 30 something you don't have that player for oregon you're hoping that one of them do but you're also gambling with that so I think against Oregon State, you really kind of just saw nobody able to step up their game in this one. Do you think they can improve in L.A.? Uh, I mean, I, I think 500 is easy. I think they could win both, but I think winning one of the two is easy. Um, I, you know, I don't want to say I, I wonder how much it matters. It doesn't really matter, matter per se. At this, I mean, I don't know. I, You'd love to, what you'd love to see is you'd love to see another Dana Altman team get hot just before the tournament and go into the Pac-12 tournament and make some noise and have some fun because I know quite a few people that are going to Vegas. It seems as though the Pac-12 tournament in Vegas is growing. 
I get more and more yeah. people telling me that they're going. Well, why not though? Oh, well, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a Raider fan, so I'm biased. Right. But you want to go to Vegas? Well, yeah, I get more and more people going and telling me just how much fun it is. Like, yeah, you know, I'm yeah, I'm going again. I, you know, and, and so by virtue, the the tournament's growing, and so all those people that are going would have a much better time if Oregon kind of got hot and 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 played well there in the tournament. I'm not sure that that's going to happen, but yeah. that's a I guess perfect ideology. The thought to me, it's it's like that Joe Young team that just got hot in yes. the tournament that yeah. one year. He hits the big shot against Utah and just stunning people, yeah. right? Do they have a Joe Young on that team? Can Lou King be that guy, or do they just not have one? Well, and Louis King's injured. He injured his finger. So oh, that's we, right. Yeah, we don't. We don't. I mean, don't currently have Lou King. Yeah, I mean, he might be fine. I don't know. It doesn't sound like it's anything major, but uh, I think he's in the Ruthie Hebert category, where you know, questionable. Um, but yeah, you know, and, and unfortunately for a guy like Louis King, you know, missing a couple games hurts. Just because if he does, you know, that's a young man that you're trying to get to develop and continue to get the chemistry down and that just really hurts mm-hmm. the team more than anything but um you know uh, or Oregon men's basketball is playing right into my expectations and so I'm okay with it like oh yep they lost to Oregon State they're still winning more games than they're losing at the end of the day you know so I'm I mean yeah yeah you just got to hope for a fun weekend in Vegas. Fun weekend in Vegas. That's what everybody wants. So you think the men will split. I think that's a fair prediction. Yeah. How about the ladies? And let's assume that, okay, Ruthie, I know they just said questionable. Sure. And that's a good word for football fans. Yeah. Like, you want to hear questionable. Yes. Um, <laughs> But basketball, I just saw a brutal injury on Monday, and I didn't think she'd be playing this weekend. Let's assume she's not. How do you think this team will fare? I, st- I still think they'll win. I mean, they were good enough against a top 10 Oregon State team that was playing at home, playing that team for the second time in three days, and hung with them within five. Yeah. And, and, and a, again, I'm not picking on her, but just not a very good Sabrina performance. Oh, so, no, that was uncharacteristic. Yeah, it wasn't good enough to make up for the loss of Ruthie, you know. And so I, I, I have no doubt that Sabrina will be fine. I have no doubt that Coach Kelly Graves will make the necessary adjustments. If if I I would if it was me, I probably wouldn't play Hebert. I mean, I don't know the extent of her injury. I'm sure Coach Graves is all over it. But I mean, with where this team is at, honestly, even if you lost both these games, even if you did, it still really doesn't hurt you. Mm-hmm. I, I I'd much rather have Ruthie 100 percent for the tournament than playing her against the. Two, it's the two LA schools, right? I USC. agree. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, you you save Ruthie Hebert because yeah. you need Ruthie Hebert come tournament time. I do think these games matter though, because if you if you keep pace in the Pac-12 and you get that one seed in the NCAA tournament, all of a sudden we're talking about hey, forget going to Vegas for the men. Let's go to the Portland Regional. Yeah. No, exactly. No, exactly. I, I. Yeah, I, I'm. A, Still, I think you rest her. I think you rest Ruthie, and even if you do, I still think you can win both games. I agree. I agree. I, I look at it this way with Sabrina, because you're talking about her having an upward trajectory this weekend. Michael Jordan and Kobe, those guys get compared to her because of her style, mm-hmm. that, that killer instinct that she has. Those guys might have lost a battle, but they always won the war. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Sabrina it, lost a battle on Monday night. She's going to win the war. Yeah, yeah. Sabrina is, I mean, she's just, yeah. It, it, I mean, statistically, if you're playing Sabrina 10 times, you're going to lose eight of them. 
I mean, it's just the way. And she's gonna, yeah, she's gonna lose one or two along the way, but she'll win the other eight. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, you're not gonna worry about her. So Sabrina be fine. I'm not worried about the game. I think, you know, I think Oregon. I think Ruthie Hebert going out of that game just impacted what Oregon was able to do offensively and defensively. And that's really hard to make those adjustments on the fly in the middle of a game when you're losing basically your second best player on the team. It's really hard to adjust for that in the game. Now, I think Kelly Graves, if he knows, which he probably has a really good idea, that Ruthie's not going to play this weekend, um, you know, you can go in and practice for three or four days and practice those adjustments in. But again, it's really tough to do that against a top 10 team in their house that's amped up to beat you. I mean, it was just, it was a really tough situation. Yeah. So the Ducks get a loss, but they still have a bright future ahead. And that sets up our spring coverage uh, real quick, getting a chance to recap what baseball and softball have done. Yes. DeLuca unloads on one to left. Back to the wall. Out of here. How about Oregon baseball? Shock the world. No, uh, no, good for them. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you go and you look at the record and they're one and two and you sit there and go, what do you mean? I mean, but you have to look at the fact they played Texas Tech, number 18, and the two losses were a combined total of three points. You lost by one point, uh, one run in one game and two runs in another game. Mm-hmm. And then you beat them. Yeah. I, I mean, if, I mean, you got to, you have to take that. I mean, yeah, you'd love to be three and oh, but nobody in the world expected that whatsoever. That's the number eight team in the country, and that's a College World Series contender. Mm-hmm, that, that's a team that, that could go all the way and could have gone all the way last year. Yeah. And you beat them. Yeah. And you beat them, and you hung with them the other two games. It's not like you caught a fluke game and beat them and then got smashed the other two games. You lost by one run, one game, two runs, another game. I mean, you were, you know, you were within reach. So, I, you know, I know I've picked on baseball. I have no problem saying I've picked on baseball. Uh, if 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 Coach Horton can turn it around and make this team competitive this year, I'm certain that Duck fans would be quick to forget the past three or four or five seasons or whatever it's been that have been tough to get through. I'm sure they'd push that aside and really get behind this team again. And uh, I think fans are looking for a reason to get back behind baseball. I agree. I do. And and we made baseball the butt of jokes last week, but I got a real insightful comment on Scoop Duck. When, when you have your thread that asks people, hey, what do you want us to talk about on the podcast? One of your readers mentioned just sort of highlighting the success that baseball could have, right, of a best-case scenario. And I think it really starts with what we saw on Friday. Aaron Zavala, 6A Player of the Year from Salem, dominant in his debut. Right. Like that, that freshman core led by Aaron Zavala, there's hope for the Ducks. Well, that's, you know, that's one of the things that I know you mentioned in the podcast last week was just pitching. You know, pitching hasn't been especially strong for Oregon baseball, you know, the past few years. Oh, and they've got some arms now. Yeah, and yeah. you've got some arms now. So, you know, I guess if you're if you're wanting to continue to play small ball, which I'm not I'm not certain that that's what is going on with Oregon right now, but if you're wanting to play small ball, you need arms. And so it's been a kind of a bad combination there because they haven't really had a, a bunch of arms. And, you know, you're trying to play small ball. So you're trying to now if you've got some arms, you could play that style 
or maybe get a little bit more aggressive like we've seen uh, the women do on the diamond. Yeah, yeah. Talk about a team with some arms. They pitch a no-hitter against FAU, but they also stun a then-top-10 LSU team. Are you surprised that the ladies have gone on that rise? Um, mildly surprised. I don't, I'm not, you know, I, I actually got tired of reading all the, the negativity towards Oregon softball. I get all the transfers are cause for an alarm. Everyone transferred for their own reason. No ill will to any of those young ladies. Maybe they wanted to follow coach white. Maybe they just weren't, you know, didn't mesh with the new coach. I get it. If you don't mesh with that coach and you're not going to play hard for go play somewhere else, Uh go do it. But there was a lot of girls left in that locker room that stayed. She brought, you know, Coach Lombardi brought in some good pieces, um, you know, for the ones that left. And at the end of the day, it's pretty apparent that she can coach some dang ball. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe she doesn't do it the same way Mike White does, but that's okay. Mario Cristobal doesn't coach the same way that Mark Helfrich did. That's fine. They yeah. stick with their styles. You either jump on board with it or I guess you hit the road. And so, you know, those players, I saw a ton of negativity from some pretty big publications about Oregon softball and, oh, it's in trouble, all the transfers. And it's like, look, this isn't a good look, but at the end of the day, you guys need to take a look and see that this coach is not the same as the one that left. They're different personalities. Yeah. The Baseball America piece comes to mind where they mention Rob Mullins specifically and they have player quotes about Rob Mullins really letting that program down. Right. And I get that from the player's perspective, but I look at this hire of Melissa Lombardi. I agree with you that there there might be some credit that's due to her that wasn't given by everybody in the media and also some credit to this team because they've weathered a storm. Right. And now they've really proven themselves. Number 17 in the country with a big win over LSU. This is not the cupcake duck team that was expected by everybody a month ago no and you know coach Lombardi's not the type to go out and take to the paper or social media or whatever oh just give me a chance I'll, I'll be your buddy that's not her I mean she's hey look this is the way we're gonna do it you're gonna play good ball we're gonna be disciplined and they are they're a much more they're a much more disciplined team now than they were maybe not as talented on paper as what Mike White was able to bring in and you know, you, you got to look at some of those quotes, and I the the quote you talk about, you know, uh, Coach Mullins letting him down. Was he letting you down because he didn't bring in a coach that is a player's coach like Mike White, Mike White was, or is he letting you down because he brought in somebody that you know is a little different and isn't going to be your buddy? And you know, I'm not picking on any of those players. If you're again, if you can't find yourself playing for that coach because of a personality conflict or whatever then move on. I, nobody's going to yeah. be upset. But at the end of the day, it's clear right now that Coach Lombardi knows what she's doing. Her job is to coach softball, not to make sure that you're buddies and that you get to go have pizza on Friday night. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, her job is to make sure you're doing your schoolwork, you know, check your grades and teach you how to play some softball. I can't help but laugh because you, you are an expert on football recruiting and you sound like one talking like that. Well, I mean, again, it's (laughs) we've seen this play out in football, in basketball, and now we see it in softball. And the rules are different in softball, so you know the the transfers are are a little bit more magnified, but it's also a little easier to do. And it's a classic case if you had a players' coach in Mike White, who did have success at Oregon, recruited well, built 
strong relationships and bonds with these young women. But then you brought in Coach Lombardi, who's the complete other end of the spectrum. Discipline, works you hard, works you hard in practice. I mean, she's she's helped these girls. Uh, you know, they're running the bases better. They're doing so many things from a, a, a technical standpoint better from a, a softball perspective. She's just not being their buddy. I mean, if you want to win and be elite, I, there's not that many players coaches that, I mean, Nick Saban is definitely not a player's coach. You don't say. <laughs> Bill Belichick's not a player's coach. <laughs> I mean, just for example, you know, just saying. No days off. No days off. Hey, I think that's a pretty good point to uh, to leave us here on Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. Anything else you want to hit on before we go? Don't think so. Just uh, the, the typical, guys, please continue to comment. Please continue to share Facebook, Instagram, tweet. Uh, send a text message to your mom or dad or whoever, you know, keep promoting this. It only helps. It, it just, it just helps us. And, uh, you know, the more interaction we can get, the better guests we can get. Um, although we kind of nailed that part pretty well already. Are we ever going to top Mario Cristobal? I mean, that, that really is the last question here. I, I mean, I, I mean, if we could get Phil Knight, that would probably be about the apex. But that's I, true. That's pretty, that's a pretty tall ask. Well, see, if we got Phil, I would say, Phil, we want to be on your jet. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do a remote podcast. From the jet. From Nike HQ. Right? Yeah. Like that, That okay, that's the top of the mountain. Yeah, that's the top of the mountain. That's uh, that's going to take a lot of liking and a lot of sharing by everybody listening. <laughs> and maybe a lot more. Uh, Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi, Matt Bagley, Justin Hopkins. Uh, Justin just told you, hey, let everybody know. Call your wives. T- talk to your girlfriends, mom and dad, everybody. Tell them they're missing out on this podcast. Yeah, just 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 let them know. You know, J Hop and Matt got it on lockdown, and that this is the best hour, occasional, sometimes two hours in your day. Yeah. I can do this now.